0: Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor Perry Duggar is leading us into a message about Jesus being the light of the world. If you would like to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. I'm your peace.
1: Our series which asks the question, who is Jesus? And Jesus answers this question himself with seven I am's in the book of John. It's interesting, John is probably the, the most, the book that's most focused on the identity of Christ. Because you have the seven miracles, you have the seven, or are called seven signs, you have the seven I am's. And these names are actually word pictures or metaphors that Jesus used to identify himself. I am is the English translation of God's personal name, which is what? But Jews never said that. Did you know it? It was never spoken at all. It was, it was too holy to articulate. Now, it's a transliteration because Hebrew is written without vowels, so we don't know for sure what the vowels were or what the name actually sounded like. So the the word Yahweh, the A is from Adonai, which is Lord, and Elohim, which is Almighty God. So that's where the two vowels come from. But the word was spoken first by God to whom? Moses, yes, where? When Moses had to know who God is, have you reached a place in your life where if you're going forward, you must know who God is? Because he was about to face the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. When Jesus said, I am, this sacred word that Jews didn't speak, he was declaring that he's fully divine that he's equal to God. And the images that he used describe the person, the character, the nature, the work of Jesus, the Messiah. So take out your message guide as we begin. And you will see from the top, the theme verse Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. It's also found in John 9, 5. The light of Jesus illumines a pathway for us to live our lives. Now, the Jews, you see, expected the Messiah to come as light because the prophet Isaiah Prophesied about this coming Messiah 700 years before his birth, and he referred to him this way out of Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Now, let me tell you a little bit of the background. John 7, John chapter 7 through 9 actually refers to a period in where there was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now realize this, in the first century Israel, there was no light. Anybody live way out in the country? You don't live in out in the country, you live in a, in a high rise. She used to live out there anyway, but some of the rest of us, I lived on a farm as a child for a while, and then she had cows. We had cows and pigs. But (laughs) anyway, back to the important matter at hand. But if you have lived out in the country or traveled away from cities, you know how dark it can be. Well, imagine in the first century Israel, there was no electricity. Now, I know that's obvious, but you got to feel it a minute. No electricity, no generators, no batteries, no gasoline and no kerosene lamps. So people depended on wood or hemp torches or candles or small olive lamps. You see mine burning here. And this is what someone would have. It's, it's a, an accurate reproduction of a first century olive lamp. Let's see if, uh, where's a camera? Can you get it? But you can imagine, what if you're walking through your house and this is all you have? Or trying to walk through town and this is all you have? I'll put it out so the alarm won't go off. But the setting for John 7 and 8, or 7 through 9 actually, when Jesus identified himself as the light of the world, was actually the annual feast of tabernacles. Who knows another name or two that that feast goes by? Festival of shelters, festival of booths, or Hebrew, Succoth. Now, it was observed for eight days in the Jewish month of Tishri, beginning on the 15th. That was the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, and it it correlates to our calendar about mid-September to mid-October. And this festival was a joyful thanksgiving for the harvest. But it was also a celebration of God's care for the Jews as they wandered through the wilderness and they lived in temporary dwellings. Now during the week of the festival, people poured in from all over the country and many of them slept in these little huts or booths they called them that they fashioned out of tree limbs up on the roof or by the roadside. And so they slept largely covered, uncovered. At night, each night, the priest would enter the women's court of the temple and would light four huge candelabra. And those lights reminded the Jews of God being the pillar of fire that led Israel in the wilderness during the day. And then at night, he, I mean, pillar of fire led them at night. And at day, he led them as a pillar of what? Say it loud. Yeah, pillar of cloud. So pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud during the day. And then when they would camp, that pillar of cloud would hover over the top of the tabernacle. So at the end of this festival, the priest would extinguish the candelabra and that would end that festival for the year. And right at that moment it's believed is when Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. Now, he didn't say it to condemn the Jews' tradition, but he was asserting that their tradition could not provide spiritual life. And their traditions rather should point them to the one who could provide them eternal life in Jesus. So we want to consider some meanings of this metaphor, light of the world. The first is that the light of the world exposes evil. John 3. John 3 at verse 19 is where I'll begin reading. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Now, not only does Jesus, the light of the world, expose evil. Think with me for a moment. He also defines it. He also defines it. You see, God determines what is sin, what is right, what is wrong. Not our culture, not the media, not popular movies, not politicians, certainly not celebrities not even our own opinions. Because those of us that have lived a little while have seen a lot of things change about what is right, what is not right, haven't we? And even those of you who have only lived a decade or two have seen pretty broad change. But is God changing His opinion? One reason why popular culture at times seems hostile to the Christian faith is because Christians accept the Bible's standard of morality, of what is right, of what is wrong. And and truly, see, we don't have the authority to compromise the Bible's teaching on sin. Rather, we have an obligation to obey, and we may say a responsibility to communicate humbly, God's standards. Now, let me ask you a question. If God and his word are not your standard for what's right, what or who is? If God and his word are not your standard of what's right, what is? Who is? And a lot of times I think we actually come down to this, whether we have thought it through carefully or not. I'm the standard of what's right, at least for me. But here's my follow-up question. Are you willing to trust that source with your eternal life? It's interesting, isn't it, how anything about morality is stripped out of the Scripture, but the part about eternal life in heaven is held on to tenaciously. And yet it all goes together. When we're living in the, in the dark, whether we're aware of it or not, we can't see clearly. Have you, have you noticed a time or has there been a time in your life when you really were living in the dark, if not at least in a shadow, and you weren't even aware of it? You know, when I was single, I didn't realize it at the time, but I lived in some highly questionable places. When I was in college, I lived in this old house, which I thought was this wonderful mansion. Statesboro, Georgia. But, but you had to be careful walking in that house at, at night when the lights were out. You know what that was? Roaches. Oh, y'all act all shocked. Now, you, you don't see them in the dark. the the hall's perfectly clean in the dark switch the light on they're scurrying that same house where you switched on the lights and saw the roaches one evening the spirit of God switched on the light in me and I saw the roaches Because it was the first glimpse I ever had of my own self-centered life. I could articulate the good news. I just didn't live any of it. I knew all about the Bible. It just didn't matter to me. And I didn't know it until one night the Spirit of God switched on the light in my life anybody else had that experience it isn't a pleasant experience for me it wasn't for some of you it may have been a delightful one. it wasn't for me the light of Christ which we could say is the Holy Spirit exposes the sin that separates us from God but you know what sin also separates us from each other did you know that You notice yourself mad with your spouse. You don't even know why. You're just all grumbly. Sin separates us from God, separates us from each other. It damages our lives. And yet, why is it that we resist exposure of sin so tenaciously In fact, we will defend and we'll justify and we'll blame and we'll accuse and we'll counterattack if anyone hints at something that would actually benefit our lives. Have you noticed that? Even if you could stop in the midst of your anger and someone could say, do you think this person is trying to help you or hurt you? You would usually say, help me wouldn't you wouldn't you and yet we're fiercely fighting but that conviction which reveals ourselves to us has a purpose god's purpose is never to condemn you is to convict you which draws you to him for forgiveness and the outcome is greater intimacy. But it doesn't feel good. Can I mean can I get an amen on that? It doesn't feel good. Don't expect that conviction to feel great, you see? So here's a question. If you are born again, if you know Christ, his spirit is in you. So the light is glowing within. What is the light of Christ revealing inside you today. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Is that thing, John, you keep doing this, you know? The light of the world enlightens understanding as well. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. I want y'all to really, really pay attention to these verses. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And then jump to six. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness. Said it in Genesis chapter 1, didn't he? Has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan attempts to keep us in the dark about Jesus. But I don't think that means that he causes us to be averse or even hostile to every expression of faith or even of Jesus. I think, now this is me, this is not, you don't have to accept this. This is my thought. I think Satan is quite comfortable with us having some beliefs that we call faith. You agree with that? As long as they're based on personal opinions and societal preference, and they're not based on a correct biblical understanding of what, of what faith requires or God expects. I mean, let's look at modern God. He has no expectations on anyone, biblical God does. You see the difference? But we live in a so-called enlightened age that is really darkness that blinds the minds and controls the hearts of people who have never trusted Christ or, or who even, might even claim to know him but don't show it because they don't follow See, that, that awareness is life-altering, you see? We can say all the things, but we can't keep it up. We can't show it consistently unless we've been changed. You see, if I love someone, I can most of the time really love someone. You know what I'm saying? Now, there may be some time I get out or they get it, but you know what I'm saying? Because that... because there's that sense there's that that nature inside that just loves god and it will control everything you do is that fair i mean think it, think about when you first fell in love didn't it control almost everything Our unbelief, uh uh-oh, do I have a confession over here? Our unbelief is based on ignorance of truth. Now, when I say ignorance, ignorance doesn't mean stupidity. Ignorance means lack of awareness, lack of information. But few of us will admit ignorance, will we? Particularly about God. Isn't it interesting that everybody sort of thinks they know something about God? Don't they? How dare you tell me about God? Well, your life doesn't show you know anything about God. Now, when the Spirit starts working, I've seen people say, I don't know anything about God. Leanne and I were on a train, and that, again, on that fine trip that you gave us for our 25th anniversary, and we were on a train between Florence and Venice and a young woman, about 30, from Siberia Living in Sweden, asked us what we did. And when she learned, I mean, y'all know what I do. Leanne's also a, a, a counselor at the Be Encouraged House, a spiritual counselor. She just became so animated. She said, I haven't found anyone to tell me about God. Will you tell me about God? I'll tell you what I found on this trip. You know, I thought, you know, I'm almost 100 years old. Y'all know that. And so sometime I'll retire. You know, and I've, y'all might get tired of me being up here, but I'm not going to get tired of loving and serving God. And it was quite encouraging that I kept running into people that wanted to know about Christ, wanted to know about God, wanted to know about the Bible, wanted to know about faith. In the middle of Europe. They're everywhere if we're looking. So even though we won't admit that we are ignorant about God, we are deluded by Satan. We're also deluded by self. So our misunderstanding has to be revealed to us. In order to believe, we must be enlightened because spiritual truth isn't rationally discerned, it's supernaturally revealed. It happens to you more than it happens by you. You know what I'm saying? And it's revealed through a personal encounter with Jesus. And it, 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 and it can occur in many different ways. Maybe all at once, like me. It may be over a series of time. It could be from the Spirit of God just speaking to you. That's what he did to me in this darkened hall. This old house. rest This old roach-infested house. <laughs> they tore it down, by the way. But... It could be as you read the Word of God, but in that instance that you're reading it, something else happens to you, and the Spirit energizes some truth. It could be sitting in a message, and and I'm saying something, although usually the most, most important things you hear, I don't say. It's what the Spirit of God tells you while you're sitting here or in a Bible study, or wherever. Have you been enlightened by the Holy Spirit? That's my question. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Brandon, you go over there, that bunch over there, they know what I'm talking about. So that you see Jesus Christ and yourself accurately. You ever seen yourself Accurately. Have you seen Christ clearly? That's the light of the world at work. The light of the world enables salvation. John 12, 46. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Jesus came as a light to penetrate spiritual darkness, just put quite simply. And then John 1, you see the same same theme in verse 4. The word gave life to everything that was created. The word being a reference to Jesus, the pre-incarnate, the pre-birth Jesus. And his life brought light to everyone. And that light is truth, it's moral purity, it's the presence of God expressed through the, the good news. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light, the truth of Jesus cannot be overcome somebody wants to argue with you don't don't get angry just humbly state the truth because the truth of Christ always penetrates darkness always you wonder why is somebody mad with you you not you haven't picked a fight with that person see we sometimes envision a struggle right between light and darkness don't you who, who sees it that way there's a struggle Between light and darkness. Well, does that happen when you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? You throw the light on. Is is it, you know, you're not sure whether the light's going to win or the darkness is going to win. Light always conquers darkness. And he continues at verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. See, don't you ever wonder, well, how is it that Jesus could walk around performing miracles before people's eyes, and they still didn't believe? Anybody curious about that? You know the answer? Because spiritual truth is spiritually discerned. Even a miracle won't change your life. They rejected him. He fed thousands with five biscuits and two sardines, I said last week, and most of them rejected him. They saw it. Verse 12, but all who believed him, all who accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And they're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, But a birth that comes from God. Physical life can only create physical life. Spiritual life is created in an encounter with the Holy Spirit that births you into a new existence. And it provides both spiritual life and spiritual insight. Do you believe? Have you been born again? The light of the world, lastly, expresses direction. John 8, verse 12. This is back to our theme verse. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. The light of the world leads us in the way we should go. He he shines out the pathway that we should always follow. Sometimes Jesus' light leads us away from trouble, like a lighthouse. Shows us what to avoid. And when we're confused, when we wonder what is right, stop reasoning. You know how you turn that decision over and over and over and over and you don't ever get anywhere. It's like you're wearing out the grooves in your mind. Stop reasoning. Stop rationalizing. Cease going through different scenarios. And for goodness sakes, don't do what feels right. And don't attempt what you think will make you happy. And don't ask people who agree with you. We all need people as advisors, but they need to be people who are more loyal to God than they are to us. Do you have a friend like that? It's a valuable friend. Follow Jesus. He's the only reliable source of what direction is right, what behavior is wrong. Psalms 119, you know this passage. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. If your life today is marked by confusion, frustration, uncertainty, insecurity, particularly about decisions, follow Jesus. Have you noticed that's often the last place we look instead of the first place we seek? Listen to what he says. Now, it may be whispered to you by his spirit within. Again, it might be through reading or hearing his word. It might be, again, a counseling with mature believers or by praying with others. You know, the counselors will be here, and they would be happy to pray with you about decisions that you're facing. And you pray till you pray. And then you pray till you hear. And then you read. God wants to speak. Do we want to hear? So here's a question for each of us though. Am I or you right now following the pathway that Jesus' light is shining out for you? Counselors, you come up. Let me, let me mention again the food drives, the local food drive. You can get the list out at the information desk. Let me just say, folks, I urge us to give. Now, now, I could say, how many of you need all the money you have? Everybody need all the money you have? Come on, be honest. Do you need all the money? Okay, then if you want God to get in your life, that means you're going to have to give away something so you have some dependence on him. And you can say, well, those kids in India are too far away. Yes, but, but that's, that's a project God gave us through prayer, through fasting. And there are 10,000 kids. As David said, a cyclone, it only wiped out one city, but it took out their food and their, their firewood. I'm asking you, $20 a month. In your program, it says how to either write the check or you go online, you text each to the number there. I think it's 91999 or something. It's in your program. I'm asking you to do this. Let's feed these kids and help God raise a revival in this darkened land. You know, you hear these numbers, oh, a million were baptized. And we applaud, we think, how could that happen? It's the grace of God. God is working something over there. And understand when they're baptized, they're not embraced by everyone in the culture. They face opposition by Muslims. They face greater opposition by Hindus. But let's let's help. You say, I can't afford 20 a month, then 10. I can't afford 10, then give five. Please, let's help. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to live according to your light and not our logic. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire
0: is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.